This is the 966 episode 119, 119 episodes. Mr. Richard Wilson. So long. 119. They're all special. This one's special because our listeners should know that you're just, you're just, you're like a one leg man in a butt kicking contest right now. <laughs> you're just scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. All right. So my buddy and good friend Lucian is in Riyadh right now. He's, he's, he's on the ground there with his family and Mabruk. It's very exciting. It's very cool. But he's also, this is your second apartment. The first one, what, didn't have hot water. No hot water. Didn't work out. Yeah. (laughs) Internet stinks. Wasn't all we thought it might be. (laughs) You were just describing your setup right there. And I said, we got to start recording. So what's your setup right there? Okay, I'm in uh, I'm in a bedroom, um, which used to be my son's bedroom. We've now moved them together and I'm at a desk and it's not a desk. It's a dresser, but uh, it only has two drawers and it's really tall. So it looks like it has none of the functionalities of a desk, none of the functionalities of a dresser, but it is where we will be recording the 966, at least for the next few episodes until I find a better place if one exists. But yes, I think it works. The mic is in a drawer here. And to type anything, I have to kind of awkwardly separate my shoulders and then lean up and start typing so that you don't see it for the watchers out there. So anyway, yes, it's uh, it's been a wild two weeks here in Riyadh with my family. Um, and w- well, I don't think we did talk about this beforehand, Richard, but I think one of the coolest things about this is seeing their reactions uh, to various things around Saudi Arabia. Uh, my wife and two children, obviously two children, have never been to the Middle East at all, and let alone Saudi Arabia. So it's it's cool to see them at things like the Boulevard World and uh, the Boulevard City and uh, Wonder Garden, and then also at the shopping mall. And the questions that my wife asks are so interesting to me because, you know, Richard, you and I are very familiar with this place, but uh, they are not. And so um, really good questions. I actually asked her to start writing some down, like why aren't there any cactus plants in the Saudi desert, but there are in Arizona. It's the same kind of topography. And I'm like, that's, these are really good questions to ask. That's an excellent anyway. question. <laughs> and you, Richard, were in um, Madison, Wisconsin last weekend for a trip to effectively the North Pole. <laughs> no, in a very no polar cactus where plants we are now. in Madison either. <laughs> yep, there are not. None that are outdoors. <laughs> Anyway, right? So um, we've got a good one this week. We've got some really cool topics. And there's so much going on in Saudi Arabia right now, Richard, that we're just, there's so much to talk about. Uh, So very exciting episode coming up. And thanks to everybody for listening and viewing and being with us here in the 966 makeshift uh, Ford operating base studio (laughs) that I have. And and you in your your normal. FOB Riyadh. (laughs) <laughs> FOB Riyadh. That's the new name of this location, exactly. by the way. It's going forward. Let's pledge and to call I, it that. And, and uh, I guess I, I'm Eagle's Nest, I guess, as these things go, you know? Yeah, you're, you're a base of operation. I don't know that actually we should we should get that term, whatever the, you know, base of the Pentagon or whatever the home base yeah, exactly. is, you know? <laughs> um, and thanks to everybody who's uh, reached out and said hello, because uh, we talked that I would, on the previous program that I would be here. So, uh, it's been nice to hear from people and great to get feedback as well from everybody. We always love that. Um, we're going to skip reading it today because we don't want the show to go too long. Um, and we have so much to talk about. So, uh, yeah, please give us a rating and review whenever you can. And with that, Mr. Richard Wilson, what's your one big thing this week? My one big thing, um, <clears throat> as we know, we last summer was this, the summer of Saudi transfers. Uh, you know, and in the Saudi professional league and the whole Saudi, you know, football initiative is, you know, uh, under the micro, uh, under the microscope, everyone's examining it. And we're in a little interesting interlude right now. And so just as con uh, context, let's remember that the Saudi pro league clubs spent in the summer of 2023, summer transfer window spent $957 million. They acquired 94 overseas players, including 37 from Europe's big five leagues. The highest number of acquisitions came from the Premier League, which we all know, at a a gross value of $312 million. So they were poaching. You know, that's a lot. That's 94 94 overseas players, 37 from Europe's big five leagues, as I mentioned. So as we all know, the Saudi Professional League is going hard to up its game, to expand its 
its reach, to increase the value of its its clubs, uh, to make it a you know they they ultimately want to make it a top ten league uh, globally. Um, where the interlude I mentioned is there are no Saudi pro league games going on right now. Their season is from October to, to March. There are 19 games and everything's come to a full stop. If you've looked at the pro league table recently, you know that Al Halal is kicking butt, just dominating. Uh, they're, they're seven points up on El Nasser. Likewise, uh, Ronaldo is kicking butt. He, <laughs> sorry, that's, that's a med- that's not really, you know, since it's fits with football, but he's a leading scorer in the league and he's a leading assist guy. So he's kicking butt. Um, you know, last year's winner, Al Ittihad, is is a good bit back, uh, 17 points behind. Our sweetheart team, Alfaya, which was at 10th early on, is slipped down to uh, 14 and is in danger of relegation. The top three teams, there's 18 teams in the league. The bottom three teams, relegated. Um so, but the, so, so, so the Saudi Pro League, and just again, I'm just to, to, to refresh our memories 18 teams, each team can have 10 non Saudi players. They can only have eight playing a game. Um, as we've talked about before, about 30% of the players in the Saudi Pro League are foreigners. So that's out of 515 players, about 30% are foreigners. So, all right. So you've got the Saudi Pro League. They're busting along in season 23, you know, 2023, 24. They're taking a break because the Asian Cup. 18th running of the Asian Cup is underway. A big, big deal. So this is now ongoing in, 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 in Qatar. It runs from January 12th to February 10th. 24 national teams, 51 games across nine stadiums and seven cities in Qatar. Um, so every four years. So this is, this is a big thing. And Saudi Arabia has had some success in the past. Uh, of the 18 Asian Cups, uh, Japan has won four. Iran and Saudi Arabia have won three times. South Korea has won twice. Israel, Kuwait, Iraq, Australia, and Qatar have each won once. Saudi Arabia had a fantastic run from 1984 to 2007. They were in six of seven Asian Cup finals, and they won three of them. But if you do the math, it's been 27 years since they won in 1996. Um and you know how it works, you know, with the U.S. men's team. But any national team, there's all this scrutiny. There's all this hand-wringing. Why haven't we done better? Why do we crash out? Why can't we finish? So on and so forth. Um, and so this team, the Green Falcons, has, an, has, a, has a, a, a coach, an Italian coach, who uh, uh, Mancini, um, Roberto Mancini, former head of the Italy national team, also former head of um, Manchester City and, uh, and Inter Milan, uh, so he's the guy in the, in the driver's seat right now. A lot of pressure. Uh, there's a question, though, and this is, this is what's kind of fun because, in reality, this is all just part of the process. But when you introduce all these new players, foreign players, they don't come to Saudi to get paid and to sit. They're playing, and they're taking minutes from Saudi nationals. So you have one side who says, all right, you know, just the, the, you know, so the injection of this, you know, superior talent ups the game. Everybody gets better. Practices are better. Games are better. So uh, by extension, Saudis, the the quality of Saudi play could be better. Conversely, uh, Saudis are losing minutes. You know, that, you know, so these, these foreign players come in and they take minutes. So you have a, you don't know really know what the result's going to be. What's going to win out? The improved level of play or the experience you get from playing, uh, if that's reduced. So they're going into the Asian Cup with high hopes. We know they did well in the World Cup last year. Uh, obviously, they, they they beat Argentina, the eventual winner in the, in the opening round. They didn't get to the round of 16, but they felt like they did well. Um, they played their first game against Oman January 16th. Squeaker. They won an extra time, major squeaker. Um, there's already been some controversy. Mancini left off three players that thought, you know, were expected to be on. And, you know, his story was, and, and one of the three players was actually the a, a, a leading Saudi goalkeeper. And as I understand it, there's not a lot of native Saudi goalkeepers. So those are, that's a space where 
a lot of foreigners usually dominate. Uh, he said they sort of said, you know, they, 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 they were hemming and hawing and not fully committed because they weren't sure about playing time. Of course, they disagreed. But anyway, so controversy abounds. Fortunately, they're not in a big, they're not in a strong group. They're in a group with Oman, Kyrgyzstan, and Thailand. Uh, so they squeak past Oman. They're playing uh, Kyrgyzstan on January 21st and Thailand on January 25th. Hopefully they'll get out uh, of the grouping and get to the knockout rounds. Uh, Sporting News has um, Japan as the favorite, followed by South Korea, Australia, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. So they're you know, one of the top five in it. So anyway, interesting time. The grand experiment that is Saudi football trying to up the quality of play and, and, and increase the value of everything associated with it is, is at a, a little inflection point here. There's going to be a lot of, you know, ringing of hands and whatever happens over, over the long term. It's just part of the process. But it will be interesting to see how the Saudis compete after a 27-year dry spell. You know, if in fact the premise that, that we're going to improve the competitive level of our league and that will have, that will, you know, like rising tide will raise all boats. Uh, it'll be interesting if we see that in its first international play. So uh, I wanted to update everybody on the Saudi Professional League. Stay tuned. We will see what drama awaits. Good one for sure, because I was a little out of date on the Saudi Pro League. And so... Uh, that was very useful. I'm not going to, and I think I can speak for both of us, Richard. We are not going to ditch. We are not fair weather fans. We have been battle hardened by the Washington football team uh, in the United States, which has not won in literally forever. Um, so we are not going to ditch Al Feha, but it is not good to get relegated. You know, you got all this money going into these other teams, and the the trend line for Al Feha right now is not great. So, you know, I don't want to say that I want to get a second team, Richard. I mean, maybe we will. I don't know. But, you know, you don't like to see that. Definitely not well, in the Saudi Pro League. <laughs> we, I, guess, I guess we could have a, you know, if they get relegated, we could have a team in the First Division League. And we could also have a team in the Premier League, the Professional League. So yeah. we can well, have we should, one. For, if, yeah. Yeah. You know. So anyway, yeah, the Alfeo Orange, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's deliberately, I mean, it's obviously it's lopsided. You have, you have four teams that have PIF participation. You have another, uh, several teams, you know, Aramco and, uh, cat, well, that's the cat is just a sponsor, but you know, you have some financial backers that are significant. Uh, and then you have, if there's 18 teams that maybe covers six to eight of them. The rest of the team sort of have to scrap by and figure it out on their own. They're like, yeah, the, they're like the, they're like the, you know, and actually, to be honest, some of those franchises are kind of, you know, you, you pull for them. You really want them to, be, to, to, you know, to be the David versus the Goliaths. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a potential Saudi movie in the future of Al Feha just surprising everybody, taking on the big money, winning the cup. Um, Great, useful overview. We're not going to ditch Alfeja, but maybe what we should do, Richard, we should have our secondary teams that are, you know, some of the big clubs, and you and I choose separate ones so we could root against each other for this one. I think that we do would need be to do that. that. That would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a very useful update. The uh, my friend Abdul Rahman just sent this to me. The waitlist for the the Ronaldo Messi game coming up here in Riyadh. I believe it's early in February. Um, and many things now in Saudi Arabia and, and uh, all the events and a lot of the sporting events, you use WeBook, which is an app, a Saudi right. app to book these tickets. I mean, you do it for Wonder Garden and, you know, these uh, Boulevard World and everything, but you also use them for football games. And there's apparently a wait list for that game that is a, at least 50,000 people long. And Abdul Rahman was like, I don't think we have a chance, man, to go to this game. I'm sorry. I know you asked if we could do it. Uh, he's usually a guy that can accomplish things, but he Make said, basically, yeah, I don't know about this. Um, so that is interesting. I think there is a palpable level, level of excitement here about football. But you also have games, uh, especially the, the, what was the Spanish league was here? Um, yeah, so there's, that's why they're having that break. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So the attendance for some of those games have not been great. Um, but some have been really great, but there is a lot of excitement for football here. Um, 
just the last thing I want to add is not related to football, but I had Ronaldo pizza two nights ago. I think I sent you a, a photo. <laughs> this is when my internet was down here. Uh, it's back, uh, thankfully. But um, I had the Ronaldo pizza delivery on Hunger Station, which was really good. My kids didn't like it, unfortunately, but I thought it was What's awesome. What's on a Ronaldo I don't think it's related, pizza? Is, it's is like, it, yeah, well, it's like it's the name of the restaurant. And I was like, I have oh, to try right. that. It gotcha. says Ronaldo. There's no way that isn't uh, homage to uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And it was good. Um, but yeah, uh, food delivery apps are, are really good here. So anyway, look at how how far off I've already taken us. <laughs> no, it's that was good. a good update on football. Good. And yes, it's I think I think the Green Falcons, I mean, again, not an expert, but I think they can handle Kyrgyzstan and was it Thailand that they're playing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they it would be disastrous if they didn't get out of the group. But you know, they the hopes are higher than that. So <clears throat> we'll see. It's interesting, and but and you you know it it is interesting you mentioned on because attendance is really really uneven. You know, big games, a mm -hmm. lot of people, smaller games, not many, and it's kind of interesting. I I tried to get I used tried to use WeBook to get tickets to uh, Al Halal Al Nasser when I was there in December last month, and um, no luck. I think I might have reached out to Abdul Rahman. I don't think he. <laughs> I think it was a no go because some of those games like, like that one, mm -hmm. you know, was jam packed. And by the way, apparently just getting to the stadium is a mess because there's everybody, everybody's going and game, big, big games like that, like that mess. I mean, the city will be locked down for that messy Ronaldo thing. Yeah. The city does not do a great job at planning <laughs> Uh, no. entrances and exits to certain neighborhoods, just the way that the whole streets are designed here and all the construction happening in every direction. And it's like, okay, so getting in and out of Kaft, for example, is not straightforward and that's okay, but it's, it doesn't surprise me that getting in and out of stadiums is probably worse it than is it is crazy. in the US. <laughs> and, and Boulevard World, which you mentioned, and I've been there as well, and I, I bet the kids just love it. Um, I loved it and I'm, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. Um, Apparently, when over over uh, holiday break, when kids weren't at school, they had to shut it down because it was so they had to close it for a night because it was just overwhelmed. And it's mm -hmm. a huge place. It's huge. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, I don't know if my kids loved it because it, it was really overwhelming. And, uh, you know, that was a, that was a conversation I had with my wife is, you know, because I was we were walking around and I was sort of. It was surreal to have loud techno music blasting in Saudi Arabia for me. I mean, I know they've had MDL Beast, Middle Beast for a few years and that they've had some public music for a while. But for me, it was weird. I mean, it was like you were in an amusement park in the middle of Riyadh pre-Vision 2030. That would have been very, very hard to imagine uh, just because it was everything was very different. And there was she kept asking me, like, what seems really different to you? And, you know, the, I mean, <laughs> pricing. Uh, you know, hotel pricing and apartment pricing and all of that is very different. But then culturally, it's just way more open and cool. But yeah, anyway, Mike, I think my kids were a little overwhelmed. They're so yeah. young, but they were just like, what is happening? Oh, <laughs> so, um, but they did. They were like, you know, I definitely thought it left an impression on them. But anyway, so, um, <laughs> yeah. And that kind of continuing on your theme, we sort of aligned our uh, one big things this week. But uh, a theme of this show 119 episodes in has has been Saudi Arabia's progress, not just construction, but also social progress, economic progress. Two new announcements and developments for Saudi Arabia happening this week. There's new announcements and new developments and new projects happening almost every day, almost everywhere you look. It's happening across the kingdom, not just in major cities. So uh, in Riyadh, where my family is for the next few months, as we discussed, the view from my apartment in Al Malga is essentially just a construction site in every direction, north, south, east, and west. It's amazing. Um, and they do work extra long hours here, especially into the evening, which is interesting as well. Yeah. Traffic is being diverted all over the place to make way for these massive new developments like the new sports boulevard area near Kaft, the King Abdullah Financial District. King Salman Park, which we've talked about before on the program, is massive. So 2024 for Saudi Arabia is known now as the year of the camel, which I kind of think is not a good choice for Saudi Arabia. It should be the model for Saudi Arabia this year should be pardon my dust because <laughs> there's so much going on. And, and camel, I mean, I know they're celebrating it, but it seems like the slower mode of transportation. And right now, Saudi Arabia is on warp five, just just like full speed and full speed ahead into the future. It's incredible to see. And you were here recently, Richard, as well. It's just 
literally pardon my dust because there's a lot of dust that is created by these construction projects, but there's so much happening. So anyway, two new projects were announced in the last few days. Um, and these are sort of projects that I think we'll hear more and more about going forward that are just now still in the con uh, conceptual stage. First here outside of Riyadh and Kadia, a new stadium is being built to host two of Riyadh's top football teams. Look at that congruency with your one big thing, Richard, Al-Halal and Al-Nasser. Nice. And it will be one of the main stadiums for the World Cup in 2034 when they finally cement that. It is the Mohammed bin Salman Stadium. It is perched on a cliff overlooking Kadia, and it looks so futuristic, Richard. It looks like it wandered away from Niam and found a nice place to sit <laughs> with an amazing view outside of Riyadh and sat right there on the side of Kadia. Architecture Studio Populist revealed the design for the stadium. And this is part of the Kadia Entertainment District, which will have a retractable roof for the stadium and a pitch and seat 45,000 people. That's pretty large by a by a stadium standpoint. I mean, it, you know, they can go up to 100,000 for college football and other, you know, stadium sizes, but that's a pretty good sized stadium, especially to be located on the size of a clip. cliff. Excuse me. One side of the stadium will be a large retractable LED wall, which will be used to broadcast live events, films, laser shows. When retracted, it will reveal an opening that allows the pitches three pitch for our American listeners. Half of you are in America uh, is a field <laughs> three sided seating to overlook the 200 meter high to wake cliff that the stadium is perched upon. Quote, it is set to be the world's first fully integrated venue with a combined retractable roof pitch and LED wall, an architectural innovation offering unparalleled versatility and allowing the space to transform into a different uh, event mode in a matter of hours, which is kind of innovative. Um, it's a super flexible sort of event sports space. The rest of the building will have a geometric style will be covered with digital screens. The whole thing is like one big kind of block building of screens, which is wild. For those of you watching on YouTube, you're seeing it right now. But if you haven't seen it and you're listening to the podcast, check it out. Just just Google Mohammed bin Salman Stadium in Kadia. It's really quite rad. Um, the stadium will then kind of be surrounded by towers and buildings that are going to house offices and entertainment spaces connected by an internal street, also covered by LED screens. I wonder if they are naming the the street itself will have LED screens. That wouldn't even surprise me these days. It'll all wow. sort of direct visitors to openings and cliff edge views. Uh, this is a, from the publication Design. I think is design, but it's yeah. D-E-Z-E, and we, we've featured it many times in the Sustig News Review. Um, quote, the stadium exterior is formed by a collection of modular cubes that act as an extension of the Tawake Cliff, framed by portals that glimpse into the future of the city. The cubes and portals spill down the cliff to create a massive digital canvas that interacts with users at different scales from street level vistas to the three sided seating bowl experience to citywide views transcending the stadium typology really just uh, this is my one big thing because you can't see this and not <laughs> want to learn more and the more you see and the more you learn you just it's like addicting you're like this is really incredible. So anyway, as I mentioned, this is not just for soccer or football, host a range of events in sports, entertainment, culture, boxing, esports, concerts, theater performances. Kadia is, of course, one of 14 giga projects, and that will be mostly entertainment, concert halls, a racetrack. We're going to mention it, Richard, a Jack Nicholas branded golf course, Six Flags yes. theme park. Uh, and of course, it wouldn't be the Saudi giga project for entertainment without the world's longest, tallest and fastest roller coaster. Uh, so yeah, this is just so rad. I can't wait to see it. So cool. They're doing something completely different and new for a stadium. And of course, Populous designed the Buffalo Bills Stadium in Buffalo, New York, which is a really expensive stadium that is awesome, uh, even for the viewer on TV, as well as the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the UK. So they're kind of like the trendy stadium designer firm, I guess. Um, anyway, just super cool. I mentioned two projects. The other one that we got a little look at, it's been announced before but we have a lot more in terms of details about it. And that is the rig, the forth, forthcoming project. We have some sort of brand new designs for, and now we have more of a precise location for where it will be built. The rig is truly uh, like a difficult to describe new theme park. It's built on an oil rig in the middle of the sea. So you have to get to it, uh, but it will have three hotels, I believe. Um, and now we know it'll be about 40 kilometers from the shore, which is actually quite far. I mean, that's not just a short little ferry ride. That's 
a significant uh, journey. It's near Algerade Island and the Berry oil field um, off the shore of Saudi Arabia's eastern coast. The offshore tourism project will be funded by a small, tiny, little local investment shop known by the known as the PIF. It is inspired by <laughs> offshore oil platforms. It is meant to celebrate the legacy and heritage of Saudi Arabia's long oil and gas history. It looks dope. I don't know how to really describe this, Richard. I, I, I would like for you to try maybe, but the uh, now we have some really detailed renderings that look really cool. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, 800 rooms in three hotels, 11 restaurants. A marina, helipad, extreme sports, adventure park, esports, diving, theater, all of this. And it's being set up by the PIF, of course, joking that they are small, they're massive and preponderant around here. Um, and they have set up by uh, a project called the Oil Park Development Company. So, yeah, I mean, look, just two brand new entertainment buildings, complexes contributions to Saudi Arabia's ambitions to be a stronger tourism destination and also a cooler place to visit. I mean, real things to come see. This stadium and the oil rig are two things that are going to be unique in the world. So anyway, my one big thing is really two big things and emblematic of a Saudi Arabia that is just full steam ahead, uh, embracing change. It's a, that's a good one. And it's fun. It's exciting. And, and, and the YouTube our YouTube uh, listeners and watchers will get the benefit of seeing pictures of it because it's hard to imagine. I don't know what you you mentioned. You used it just sort of mind boggling. Um, and we've talked about it before. If you are an architectural firm or design firm, man, you want to be in Saudi because they're just letting it fly. You know, you look at that that Kadia Stadium and that escarpment. So you said two hundred meters, so over six hundred feet. And, uh, you know, it's seating 445,000 people without one side, because one side is just an open space, either a screen or open space. And like, if you're watching a game, you're looking out over and it's open and you're looking out over this amazing escarpment and this amazing view. I wonder sometimes if an errant soccer ball can, you know, can actually be blasted into the valley. But um, uh, it's, you know, the, the images are you know, mind boggling. And Kadia, I find very interesting because when we've talked about this before on the show, it was one of the first giga projects that sort of got a lot of air. And then it just sort of languished, just sort of disappeared. Nothing was going on. It didn't seem there was construction. Um, but then recently it's been relaunched and it's getting a lot of, of uh, obviously a lot of play, a lot of push, a lot of exciting things like this. Populous also, I believe, did the sphere in Las Vegas. Um, did they really? Because that is super cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, they did that. And I was laughing about the Buffalo Bill Stadium because, as we know, it was under you know six feet of snow this last weekend. They literally had people. They 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 sent out a call for all citizens, and Buffalo is a big football town. All citizens to come and try and uh, shovel out everything. <clears throat> and uh, you know, it, even then, it it, it was a mess. Um, but anyway, all amazing stuff. I will say this. And we've talked about this for, you know, I think I did a one big, I did do a one big thing on this. And that was how pleased I was that the the finance minister, Al Jadon, came out and said, you know, we're going to, some of these projects are going to be exp extended. You know, 2030 is not the terminus for everything we're doing. And and it, it has to be that way. There's so many things. I mean, uh, they just announced the the 10 cities that are going to be part of NEOM. I mean, 10 cities, all in you know, all of them amazing you know, jaw dropping um, projects. And, um, you know, and, and Al Jadon said certain projects can be expanded, expanded, you know, to 2033 or 2035, but then some projects will be rationalized. And I, I have to admit, and, you know, we're, we, we watch what's going on in Saudi Arabia and we're constantly, we, I think we regularly recognize that. You know, while we're looking, we're looking for implementation. We have C announcements. We're looking for implementation. And I think we uh, regularly acknowledge that they're really, really making real progress across a lot of fronts. So there's been real implementation coming in place. But I, I, I swear, there's so much coming. I'm just wondering which ones will be rationalized. And I laughed about the stadium in Kadia. By the way, Populous is also building another stadium in Kadia for esports. And I don't. You remember that? If you've probably seen that image too it's kind of much more glass and a different kind of look entirely uh, yeah. but that's also in Kadia. so the probably is obviously very very active but um 
I laughed when I said, all right, this is the Mohammed bin Salman stadium. That one will not be rationalized. That's going to be a good one. Yeah, gonna, that <laughs> it's going to, it's going to happen. <laughs> if it's got, if it's got the crown prince on his name on it, it's going to happen. So when, yeah. you know, whenever, 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 whatever the money is out there in Vegas on which projects, you know, have a greater chance to be rationalized or extended, I wouldn't put my, you know, MBS stadium is not going to be rationalized. Yeah, I don't know if they're running odds on that, but uh, you're right. That'd be like a 1.1 to one. Basically, don't even don't even bother betting. We're just going to give you your money back because that definitely will not be rationalized. But I was talking with a friend about this. It's actually quite amazing. Everything that the Crown Prince has done, Vision 2030, everybody's bought in. And the product or the result, I should say, of that is everything you see around here. It's the buy in and it's the vision and the vision is you know, King Salman and it's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman who are really driving the charge and who have the vision and are enacting the vision and getting everybody aligned with it from the government to the private sector to citizens. Very few few things that are new here are actually named after Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, which I think mm-hmm. is interesting and I think uh, worth noting. So when I had the same reaction you did, when this stadium was announced, it was interesting because you know, it, not everything is the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman airport or highway or anything like that. It's it's kind of rare. So, yeah, you're right. This is going to be, yeah, bet on this happening and being awesome because this uh, <laughs> they're not going to there's that almost says, hey, we're for sure this is going to end up <laughs> maybe even true. better than, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which is good. Yeah, um, that's a good one. And actually, if you look at the pictures, they're pretty amazing. You know, if you're yeah. Listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool. There's a little video as well. We're going to include all this for the the viewers. But yeah, if you're listening, check them out. Really rad. And there's a lot of renderings too, which I love because sometimes you just see the same image over and over and over again on social media. And then when you get into the the architectural designer or the, the firm's website, they have them all. They're all high res. So yeah, we'll include some of those as well. So anyway, what do you think, Richard? Let's get to Yella. Saudi. Saudi in a minute. all right Uh, well so we went through several iterations of what we want to do with yellow this time because we had we kept evolving we really felt it almost made a one big thing but we really felt it was important to do this first one so this would be a little long so the 54th annual meeting of the world economic forum is taking place in davos Gloucester, switzerland actually today's the last day january 15th to the 19th the theme of the 24, 2024 meeting is, quote, building trust, unquote. Saudi Arabia's presence at Davos is a who's who of Saudi officials and business leader, leaders. The delegation is led by uh, His Royal Highness Prince Faisal bin Farhan al-Saud, the Saudi foreign minister. Um, it includes Princess Rima bin Bandar al-Saud, Saudi ambassador to the U.S., Dr. Majid al-Kasabi, His Excellency Dr. Majid al-Kasabi, Minister of Commerce. Adel Al-Jaber, Minister of State for Foreign Affairs and also head of their, their, their climate envoy. Mm-hmm. He's also a member of the Council of Ministers. Khalid Afala, Minister of Investment. Mohammed Al-Jadan, uh, who we referenced earlier, Minister of Finance. Abdullah Al-Sweha, Minister of Communications and Information Technology, who, by the way, we have uh, our next guest on the show is a young, a terrific young guy from the Minister of Communications and Information Technology. Uh, Bandar Akhraev, Ministry Minister of Industry and Mineral Resources, and Faisal Ibrahim, Minister of Economy and Planning. This is a big that, that's a big time delegation. Other members included high-ranking officials from various ministries, business leaders, uh, key people from uh, the economy, academic, and other thought leaders. Um, it's a good delegation, uh, and they've been they're strongly represented in, at the WEF. They are indeed. And if you consider if this were the U.S. side, then the who's who of U.S. officials that would be there as a result. I mean, this is this is the who's who of policymaking in Saudi Arabia. And the two people missing are King Salman and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, of course. But to see this sort of heavyweight delegation in Davos is an indication, at least to me, that Saudi Arabia is emerging on the stage, not just as a diplomatic player in the region, but in the world, but also as an economic power. And that's why you have sort of this balance, this really good balance of diplomacy, foreign affairs, government officials dealing with policy and 
you know, uh, the Minister of Investment, uh, His Excellency Khaled Al-Fala, Dr. Majid Al-Kassabi, Minister of Commerce. I mean, that's so it's, uh, of course, Minister of Communications and Information Technology, um, Abdullah Al-Swaha. Anyway, this is like a it's a statement in and of itself, and it's creating a lot of media. And it's a good time for Saudi Arabia to be doing this, in my opinion, because you have the war in Gaza, you have hotspots in Yemen and now in Pakistan and Iran, you have um, the border of Israel and Lebanon. It's important that Saudi Arabia is entering into the moment and getting these key faces out there, both from the political side and also from the economy side. And so uh, it's been good to see this. It's interesting too, there's some things that maybe aren't important, but they're not wearing their traditional dress, the thobe. Um, they're dressed in Western dress and a lot of Montclair jackets and because uh, it is quite <laughs> cold in Davos this time of year, but it is cool to see that. Um, and it's yeah, this is this is a good one and a good story for Saudi Arabia to have this out there. Uh, I thought it was notable and, they, uh, they, you know, obviously this is a really strong delegation, <clears throat> um, but the uh, stated and named head of the delegation was a foreign minister. And I think that, you know, that speaks a lot to what Saudi Arabia, how they wanted to use this stage, where they think they are in terms of the diplomatic and their diplomatic pull and their and the the gravity they're creating. Uh, so also the other interesting thing is that uh, the WF, the World Economic Forum, announced that um, they're doing a special WF forum in Riyadh in April, late April. And uh, essentially, this is what they said. Um, Quote, the World Economic Forum has recognized that the kingdom is becoming a stronger, more impactful leader on the global stage. We found it as an opportune time to bring this global tier one event to the kingdom and start this new chapter together. This is what uh, uh, Faisal Ibrahim mentioned. This will contribute to Riyadh becoming a more global form, more global platform. Uh, so, you know, apropos to what we're saying, um, Saudi Arabia is just taking a larger space on the world stage and they know it they feel it they want it and um, they're gonna they're gonna take full advantage of it and and try and uh try and really put forward their diplomatic priorities and you see it here yeah i i wonder about the that the head of delegation is that just because he's an hrh and he, so is princess rima but he is kind of Princess Rima's boss because Princess Rima is an ambassador and that's under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Or if there is another significance to Prince uh, Faisal bin Farhan also being the head of the delegation. Um, but that that did catch my eye as well, Richard. I think that's interesting. Yeah, but good it, question. It, yeah. it may be royal, but I also I think it sets a, sends a statement. I mean, there are there are there have been other delegations where the royal is is part of it. And I was looking at, you know, going back to 2016. But this isn't necessarily the head. And I just thought it was, I, I, as a matter of fact, to be honest, I can't really recall. And this it doesn't mean anything because, it, you know, I can't really recall when they just said this person's the head of the delegation. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. other than other than if the crown prince is going or the king. But anyway, it, it is interesting. Maybe it's royalty, but but also I don't. I have to look at the list. I was trying to get a rundown of all the all you know sort of publicly listed government officials who went to previous ones and it, it, it they're not always this strong and i don't always i don't remember them having a specific named head of delegation yeah there there was a lot of news that came out of this there's no way we can get to it a lot of it was related to israel and palestine and and the tragedy happening in gaza right now but uh there was something also interesting uh the minister of communications and information technology uh, whom I just mentioned, and you just mentioned, Abdullah Al-Swaha, said that Saudi Arabia's PIF is really looking at semiconductors right now, and, and there may be a big announcement coming out this year. They're looking to sort of have a Saudi effort in that space, which is very interesting as a global political issue, actually, but also an economic issue. Pretty pretty uh, interesting time, pretty, pretty uh, interesting week for them. Uh, yeah, uh, yellow number two. Uh, we could have gone on, Richard. That was almost a one big thing this week for everybody. So if people are wondering if they're all going to be quite that long, no, but it was just there's a lot happening. Yellow number two, 
Aramco, one of the world's leading integrated energy and chemicals companies, has allocated an additional $4 billion to its global venture capital arm, Aramco Ventures. It will take Aramco's overall venture capital allocation to $7.5 billion, which also includes the $500 million venture capital fund, Wyatt Ventures, that focuses on the startup ecosystem within the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The decision reflects the growing significance of Aramco's venture capital program in enabling the development of disruptive new technologies, creating diversification opportunities for Aramco and paving the way for collaborations with innovative startups. In doing so, it aims to help advance the company's long-term strategy, which includes a focus on new energies, chemicals, and transition materials, diversified industrial businesses, and digital tech. You know, I think that says it all. I mean, Ramco I, I, is, is one of many entities in the kingdom that is just actively going up and hoovering up as much cutting-edge technology as possible you know, with the intent that they can plug it in, they can help push it forward, they can benefit from it. And then ultimately, like I said, they can come back and plug it into their economy and take real advantage of it in terms of diversifying. It's, it, you know, that's a big leap to double their investment, which was already pretty big at, at uh, 3 billion. Um, so yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because Aramco is such a large company and $7.5 billion in this ecosystem is a lot of money compared to the other government funds like JADA and the Saudi venture capital company, SVC, and Sinabel. We've talked about Sinabel a lot in this program, but um, $7.5 billion is a lot of money. It's kind of not when you compare it to some of the largest VCPE funds in the US, Sequoia's at north of $80 billion. Tiger Global is north of $50 billion. I mean, and those aren't even, that's just a very small slice of the pie. So for Aramco, this makes a ton of sense. And they've invested in some really interesting and promising technologies. They're sort of the government fund here that is really, uh, how do I how do I put this? They're, they're good. They're very good what they do. Um, and they're they are lead investors often in technologies that don't always have any connection to Saudi Arabia, but they are just really good uh, tech in the energy space in, uh, you know, as as they say, this sort of is a pivot a little bit to transition materials, diversified industrial businesses, digital tech. Those are kind of newer areas for them. But yeah, they're quick on new energy technologies that come anyway. So they have great people over there. Wyatt is also highly respected. So this is, I think, significant and I think really meaningful, way more meaningful than Saudi Arabia, you know, blowing past the UAE in VC investment. That's good, but that really should continue. Whereas this is, I mean, this is an indication that there is money to be made here for that. So yeah, it's very exciting. And you want to see, you want to see funding and support going to your your most effective investors. And, yes. you know, I guess, I guess Aramco has three funds and I don't know how this extra 4 billion is going to be distributed, but they have the digital industrial fund, which looks at technologies that are really important to Aramco. They have the prosperity seven fund, which is a disruptive technology ventures beyond the energy sector. And they have a sustainability fund, which is uh, startups with the potential to support, you know, Aramco's efforts to achieve net zero. So, you know, so that they, they had the three and a half billion in, they're going to add 4 billion, maybe to these three funds, maybe they'll start other ones. It doesn't, you know, they can plug in anywhere, but yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of fun. It's exciting to watch. And it's, you know, it's a good organization. We know that. And so often the habit with Saudi Arabia is if you want it done right, you call in Aramco. Now, mm-hmm. it, you know, that was back in the day, there's other entities that are capable, but even so still Aramco still does its job well. I think that's still very true anecdotally. I think maybe we would both say that uh, it's hard to measure. But you also have Wasaya, which is Aramco's pension fund, and they do some venture capital investments, mostly private equity stuff. They are very successful investors and very talented people over there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is this is just good because these guys are very much smart money in the space that they're in. And so, yeah, good luck to them. Uh, speaking with their investments yeah, yeah. number three uh, yellow number three and speaking of real estate you should probably do this one but 
Uh, analysts at real estate firm Savile's KS, KSA told Arabian Business that apartment rents in Riyadh surged by as much as 23% in northern neighborhoods last year. <laughs> this and uh, did you just wince? Did I just see you wince? I just winced. Yeah, I did. <laughs> this, this dramatic increase has been fueled by rising population growth that is outpacing the construction of new residential units. In 2022 alone, Riyadh saw its population increase by 5.1% in one year, which is expected to be much higher now with the RHQ program in full swing, further exacerbating existing shortages. The supply-demand imbalance is being felt most acutely by expats. Did you wince again? Um, and this is this is a and this is a quote. Uh, quote: Riyadh remains significantly undersupplied in terms of accommodations. Accommodation options, unquote, said Mansour Ahmed, executive director of Collier's Mina. Quote, expats face challenges in finding suitable housing that meets their needs and budgets, unquote. And with running hot water. Running hot water. And decent water. Acceptable internet. Yeah. Not, not looking for the <laughs> fastest internet. I just need to be able to call people <laughs> and record the 966. Um, yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, I did wince. This apartment is so expensive. It is, it is, uh, it's insane, uh, but it is nice. And I mean, this neighborhood, um, I mean, what can you say? Like there, there are new developments. We, we did talk about this earlier in the show, but like not just giga projects, like new, like little kind of neighborhoods and developments coming online everywhere. And you also um, have this sense now that real estate is, an obvious and a booming investment and that if you're investing money, how could you not be in real estate? And as America has learned over the generations, you know, boom cycles almost always are accompanied by some sort of downturn or some sort of bust. And it's hard to see that coming soon because you have this indication, which is that people need places to live and there aren't enough places. So if you're an investor, you're saying, let's build the places for these people to live. But there is also a sort of attitude here that you can't lose money in real estate these days. And that's just you know, foolish to, to think that that's how it goes. Of course, Richard, we have joked about this on the program before. We really should have bought real estate literally any year before this year here if we could have because it would have been gangbusters. Of course, we, we weren't really allowed to until very recently. And, and even then, it's uh, complicated. Uh, but look, I mean... Yeah, the, this apartment is really expensive. It's like New York City. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, and yes, I did wince pretty hard. Twenty three percent of me winced. <laughs> well, it's it, they got to they, they you know they, they, it's a real challenge. It's it's a reality. They have to. Uh, it's something they need to address, and they have to. I know Roshan and others are really just you know working twenty four hours a day trying to build housing and stuff, and everyone's trying to get a market. These things, by definition, in a in a you know, properly functioning market, even out the supply will catch up with demand, but in the interim, it's a little, it's, it's expensive. Boy. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, Dubai is the same way, not quite the same way. There are very different cities and, you know, you can get in trouble comparing them, um, you know, not trouble, but just, it's like, it's not really a good comparison, but yeah, Dubai's real estate is also booming right now. Um, especially, wealthy apartments uh, or, or expensive apartments are up like 100% over the last year in Dubai. So yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, a lot of wealthier going to Dubai. Um, yellow number four, Aramco Digital and Intel plan to establish Saudi Arabia's first open RAN, R-A-N, Radio Access Network Development Center. Specifically, the partnership aims to accelerate development and deployment of open RAN Technologies helping to enable Saudi Arabia to build reliable and agile telecoms infrastructure that will accelerate digitization across various industries. Quote, the Open RAN Development Center is expected to be a catalyst for digital evolution, providing a platform of collaboration, skill development, and the creation of a vibrant technology ecosystem. At the heart of this collaboration is the creation of a vibrant pool of local capabilities for advanced 5G and future 6G technologies, unquote. Yeah, don't have a lot to add to this, but this is very good for Saudi Arabia and its diversification efforts. This type of collaboration between, we just talked about it, Aramco, the really the sort of 
you know, queen bee company here yeah. and then Intel and having this type of development is really good. What is 6G? Is it just like better than 5G? I guess like, it's, I guess it's the next thing. And, and um, yeah, I don't have a lot, but we like this. I like this because Intel's involved because open ran has, you know, some significant benefits, apparently using less and expensive hardware, simplified maintenance, enhanced security, you know, they can scalability, reduced interference, but it also um, would enable Saudi Arabia to sort of get away from the, 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 the conflicts they have now with, you know, should we go with Huawei or should we do this or do this? It can work with any system and it obviates, you know, eliminates that tension. Um, and I just think it's a, you know, as we, you know, they're, they've got a ways to go, but I think it's smart for them to, to sort of look into this because they can, they can get more market competition, better customer choice, lower equipment, improved network. And if you can get all these things. Uh, and so hopefully Intel can help them, you know, make progress along this way. And um, again, you know, like, like so many things they're doing in Saudi Arabia, they're trying to get out ahead of, 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 of leading edge technologies. And this is one of them. Yeah, it's a very mobile first place as well. Cash is almost not taken anymore anywhere. Yeah, uh, it's cool. So, uh, Richard, we did do a little switch up there. There's no way we are redoing that, but I think you read mine. So I'm going to read yours and then we'll. Oh, did I? Right? I think so. Yeah. Because um, this is yellow number five. We're doing a little oh, switcheroo right. here. I, I we just want to make I sure everybody's the, paying attention the, at I, home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read the real estate and the open rent. My apologies. Do you That's want to do okay. the next two? You're happy to happy to do the next two. No, no, no. I do not. I want you to do. The, I want you to do the last one because I'm looking at it right now. Um, right. Yellow number five. Uh, canoes. I hope I'm saying that right. Canoes, an initiative of the Saudi Ministry of Media's Center for Government Communication, launched quote Horizon, a new documentary documenting a new documentary documenting the kingdom's rich biodiversity and natural resources produced in collaboration with the national center for wild wildlife the documentary is currently streaming on netflix viewers will enjoy learning about the variety of animal populations such as the dugong dolphins did i say that dugong dolphins yeah, that's right it's just funny to hear you say it <laughs> it is funny it's a funny word dugong <laughs> um arabian leopards deer and oryx species why am i why can't i read today uh, they I think that, will also well, be the, the, yeah. the, the documentary documenting is kind of clumsy so it, i can understand <laughs> how that trip you know now, now your wiring's all off uh yeah everything that just short-circuited everything now everything's like one <laughs> thing yeah <laughs> they will also be given a glimpse into the kingdom's unique biodiversity varied terrains regions and different climates which nurture the harmonious coexistence between more than ten thousand species each of which has made unique adaptations to thrive in their specific environments. Yeah, I think a dugong is like a manatee. <clears throat> okay. And, um, uh, <laughs> I just added this because it's on Netflix. It's kind of neat. You know, this is an area Saudi Arabia is really trying to push their ecotourism and, and their, their attention being paid to preserving and uh, expanding wildlife. So, yeah, interesting story. Dugong is is this week's mascot of the nine six six. Maybe we'll put that up as the uh, <laughs> be, uh, the like cover photo for uh, on like be, iPhones or iTunes or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be that'd be quite a, that'd be quite the mascot. You know, <laughs> big big long marine animal that can't get out of the way of, of propellers and eats eats grass. <laughs> yeah, I, it, this is cool though because I mean you know how many people like the the gap between American and Western understanding of this place and the complexity of this place and how it really is, is enormous. And maybe this won't do too much to fill that gap, but net everyone has Netflix, you know, right. really around the, really around the world. I mean, not everybody, but you know, it's very, very popular in the United States. And so how many views are they going to get? I mean, th that number of people are going to watch this and say, whoa, this is not really the, necessarily the Saudi Arabia that I know and have seen in the media otherwise. So it is kind of cool to see this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, in a, in a, in a notable switch up in the nine, six, six process, uh, <laughs> yellow number six, Rafael Nadal's role in helping to grow tennis in the Gulf is set to increase significantly after the Spanish great was appointed ambassador of the Saudi tennis federation. 
As part of his new position, Nadal, who made a recent surprise visit to a junior tennis clinic in Riyadh, hosted by the Saudi Tennis Federation, will spend dedicated time in Saudi Arabia each year to help nurture and plan the development of boys and girls in the sport, as well as grow further interest in tennis amongst the country's young population. Additionally, plans are also being put in place to develop a new Rafa Nadal Academy to nurture talent and serve as a center of excellence to help players with professional tennis aspirations. Of course, when this was announced, there was criticism. Um, there was some sort of hate for Nadal for what aligning himself with Saudi Arabia, um, just as Ronaldo got, just as Messi got when he became a tourism a tourism ambassador. But what we see, and I think what Saudi Arabia sees, is a genuine way to grow a sport that doesn't exist here. Uh, or is really, really rare to see. I mean, there are very few tennis courts. But tennis is the type of sport where it doesn't take a lot of money to learn how to play and to play. You just need tennis courts and you need a racket and a couple balls. It's similar to soccer in that way. And that is basically you just have very simple equipment and you can get out there and play. Right now would be a great, I grew up playing tennis. Um, right now would be a great time of year to be playing tennis in Saudi Arabia. It's dry. It's warm, but not hot. And, you know, if this investment in Nadal, who is the most popular tennis player in the world, maybe outside of Djokovic and Federer, and one of the greatest ever to play the game, um, and it doesn't hurt that he's handsome and Spanish. I mean, if this investment in Nadal creates a generation of Saudi tennis players, it will be worth it for those making that investment. But you also don't know what the possible upside is here. Maybe you actually turn this country into uh, one that loves tennis and a business. So I'm all about this. Nadal is so fun to watch. Um, yeah, I, I think this is cool. Yeah, agreed. Um, he is fun to watch. He's a likable personality. <clears throat> he seems sincere. This reminds me a little... So, so you know, the, the tennis establishment is mixed feelings. Some people very strongly against any kind of Saudi involvement. Others saying, yeah, we love the investment. Um, reminds me a little of the run up to live. And, you know, what, you know, all the silliness and all the commentary and speculation before anything was known. Mm -hmm. And, and. So it's bound to happen. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody, you know, journalists, you know, everybody wants clickbait. Um, so good for Rafa. Uh, you know, he and Lionel Messi are are very likable and well-known, uh, you know, spokespeople and, and people who can help you with your public relations in a particular area. Uh, but right now, we don't know what the what Saudi Arabia's intentions are with regard to the sport of tennis. Um Everything yeah. about this little blurb we read is really about developing uh, interest within the kingdom. And, you know, that's always a good thing. That's a, that's a big, you know, participation and, and healthy lifestyles is a big part of Vision 2030. So maybe there's more to it, but everyone's going to speculate. We'll know when we know. That's uh, exactly the point that I wanted to follow up your point with is that <laughs> Vision 2030, one of the three pillars is vibrant society. And part of having a vibrant society is having a healthy population. And part of being healthy is exercise. And Saudi Arabia is known for many things. Being a very active exercise culture is one that is under development, like many places <laughs> around the kingdom, they're working on it. Um, and you can see it in new, new constructions and new developments around here are prioritizing places to walk, places to run and work out in sports. Uh, the sports boulevard we mentioned earlier in the program, older developments are not, you know, don't have playgrounds or courtyards as much as newer ones do. Uh, sidewalks are important now in new construction. They weren't before, they weren't at my last apartment. Um, no. And you can just kind of see it happening. And so that's, you know, anyway, all about this. I think that's great. And I think it's a good one to end 119 on. And Richard, next week is episode 120, which is, you know. Round number. Yeah, yeah, we're, nice we're rolling number. them out. Sure. Setting them up and out. knocking them down. That's right. So thank you, Mr. Wilson, for this week. Thanks for everybody else who's 
made it this far and listened to me say dugong um, <laughs> and documentary documenting is another one that just wraps your tongue around and I will, we will see you guys next week excellent nicely done reporting from Riyadh indeed reporting from Riyadh and I don't think we had an internet connection glitch so yeah I think we, I let's think celebrate we that <laughs> <laughs> see you next week alright see you man